You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, A Tour Through John. Now looking at Lesson 19. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Good morning. Lesson 19 of A Tour Through John. We're going to go through all of chapter 9. Just like every chapter in John, we learn who God is through Jesus. We don't see God directly, but in the incarnation, and as we read of the life of Jesus, we come to see God. And as we will realize, everyone in this chapter, and there are many characters, everyone's blind. Well, technically, except for two. You can figure that out. In verse 1, we read, As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? To the disciples, there's not a lot of compassion. There's not a lot of personal concern for this fellow. It seems to reflect their attitude towards the woman at the well uh, in John 4. Kind of a theological conundrum here. Let's figure out where the sin come from because sickness comes from sin. Well, the Bible does allow that some uh, sickness comes from sin. Uh, There are lots of passages, uh, but there are so many exceptions, it's simply not a true doctrine. This guy had been born blind, born blind. At no time before had anyone ever healed a man born blind. And I'm not sure that such miracles occur today, even in response to prayer, though perhaps I'm wrong. But the ones who are blind in this opening section Um, are Jesus' disciples, because their question reflects the outlook of the ancient world. It kind of reminds us of the view of Job's three comforters in the book of Job. Uh, They insisted that misfortune is caused by sin. Of course, this is also one of the primary tenets of today's prosperity theology, uh, which is alive and well. They don't really care for him as a person. No, Jesus' disciples just see him as a conundrum. How does Jesus respond? Neither this man nor his parents said he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. Now, Jesus doesn't offer any explanation as to the cause of the blindness. There's no um, assigning of blame or guilt, but Jesus sees the divine possibility. God can be glorified through this. I don't think Jesus is saying that God allowed the fellow to be blind so that he could glorify himself. Rather, I think he's identifying the possibility that something great can come, even though um, this fellow has tragically been, been blind from birth. There's hope in the light of Christ. He's the daylight by whose light we can work. You know, Jesus says, uh, we've got to do the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming. Jesus reminds us again that he's the light of the world. Um, that's 9.5, repeating the I am statement uh, from 8.12, the second I am statement. 
So not surprising, considering who Jesus is, the man is healed. Of course, the healing could have been direct and instantaneous, but it includes saliva and dirt and a walk to a pool. Interestingly, he wasn't healed by faith alone. The blessing came only as he went in obedience to Jesus' command. This is quite similar to the healing of the ten lepers in Luke 17. It was as they obeyed Jesus, as they uh, did what he said, show themselves to the priest, as they walked away, that they became clean. It's in that process, um, kind of like Naaman being cleansed in the process as he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times from 2 Kings 5. It's the same with us. We are transformed as we go. It doesn't happen while we're just sitting in a chair, relaxing. It happens when we're about the work of the Father. And this miracle, opening the eyes of the blind, indicates that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18 uh, would be a key verse uh, supporting that. Well, he's sent to the pool of Siloam, and that's laden with linguistic significance. Uh, Shiloh or Shiloam was the place where God revealed himself before the temple in Jerusalem. It's frequently mentioned in Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, Jeremiah. And there's a messianic prophecy connected with this in Genesis 49. And yet Isaiah chapter 8 shows the Jews rejecting the uh, gently flowing waters of Shaloah or Siloam in Hebrew. And that word means sent. Uh, so that's kind of uh, significant too, reminding us that Jesus had a mission and yet, it's when we take our mission seriously, when we realize we're sent, that we're really able to understand and appreciate um, the things of God. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then, how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. <laughs> so the neighbors noticed. Here's a man they saw every day. But the implications of admitting the authenticity of the miracle seems to be messing with their cognitive function. Some are able to say, Yes, it's the guy, and others, No, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, it has huge implications, obviously. Uh, so what we realize is that his neighbors and acquaintances are blind. I mean, he's healed right in front of them. And I mean, it's not like there's another candidate. There's not some other fellow uh, rejoicing in Jerusalem who says he'd been healed of blindness. It's this guy. This guy says, hey, I'm the guy. And they're having this discussion. You know, is it the same guy or not? Hmm, we need to you know, find someone who can tell us. Oh, one other thing I, I neglected to mention, that pool of Siloam where he was healed, that was only discovered in 2005. So uh, so many of the places we read about in the New Testament, even in the Gospel of John, uh, have been excavated, have been identified um, in recent years, w whether in the last century or the last couple decades, or in some case, just the last few years. So they bring this fellow to the Pharisees. Let's uh, continue the story. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Uh-oh, <laughs> we know what's coming, don't we? The, the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, now I see. It's the same story, right? Some of the Pharisees said, 
this man's not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, "Uh, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. (laughs) And the fellow says, well, he's a prophet. According to Jewish law, that is rabbinic tradition, the tradition of the rabbis, not the Torah. Jesus had violated the Sabbath. Uh Uh-uh. You're not supposed to put spittle into someone's eyes on the Sabbath. And another ruling um, refers to various opinions, agreements, disagreements, or or whether you're allowed to anoint eyes on the Sabbath, you know, put some ointment in there. Of course, Deuteronomy 13 warned the people of God not to listen to a miracle worker if he led them away from God's law. So if Jesus was actually leading them away from the law, the Torah— Even though it might seem like a genuine miracle, technically the Jews should have resisted him. This is why it's so important to think clearly over the difference between the word of God and our words, our traditions, our customs. They are different. And uh, sometimes the discussion can be convoluted and confusing, yet there can be huge consequences. So I'm just saying there was some basis for the Jewish leader's viewpoint, but there's no justification for their stubborn refusal, at least to reconsider uh, their in- interpretations and, and, and be open to belief. Now, the blind man's statement, he is a prophet, that parallels the Samaritan woman's recognition. So right here in John 9.17, that parallels John 4.19. You'll see all kinds of connections and parallels among the various accounts in the, John's gospel. Verse 18, we're going to come now to his parents, his own family. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Uh, Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already agreed anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They're just afraid. They don't want to be put out of the synagogue. In Greek, put out of the synagogue is a single word. <laughs> it's something like aposunagogos. <laughs> you don't want that to happen to you. So his parents are blind. Now, when they say you can ask him, he's of age, probably that means he's over age 13, a male age 13 and above would be legally accounted as an adult. Uh, but we, we see the true reason for their reticence is that they're afraid that they're going to be ostracized. They're going to be put out. Now, you know, most biblical scholars think John was written near the end of the first century. It could be uh, early, it could be late. But if it is late, if it's written in the 90s, this would have special meaning because that is after the time of the rupture between church and synagogue. Uh, remember that up to... 70 AD, Christianity was still viewed generally as a a subsect uh, or a a sect within Judaism. But once the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and attitudes started to really harden, um, Christians lost that imperial protection they had um, as a legitimate religion, uh, as being Jews. So this is after the time of the rupture, and and there are uh, many indications in John that that's the case. It would have special meaning. Well, 
whatever the truth is about the history, we're called to take our stand with Christ, even if this does lead to ostracism. Verse 24. So, for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Probably the most famous line in the chapter. And the blind man has given his testimony multiple times already, hasn't he? And this time he he doesn't mention the pool or washing or the mud or, or the saliva or anything. He just this time simply talks about his experience of going from sightlessness to to sightedness. And they say, give glory to God. In other words, uh, this is a very solemn oath. It's the oath that Joshua put on Achan back in Joshua 7. Uh, very serious. And, and th- these words, one thing I know though is blind, now I see. That's the inspiration for John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And, and all of us who are Christians, uh, we, we relate to this going from darkness to light. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, this is getting old, isn't it? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You want to become his disciples? And then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You are born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us. And they drove him out. I think the NIV says, Lecture us. Well, truth is, they needed a good lecture because they're not thinking. These Pharisees were the blindest of all. See, up to a point, they were pretending to be impartial. Okay, let's hear the explanation. Uh, You know, what's the location of this fellow and what exactly happened? So they operate under the guise of an open examination. But the, the truth is, they've already made up their minds. The true colors will be shown in just a few verses. No amount of evidence is going to change their view. And they they accuse the fellow of being born in sin. You know, the Old Testament doesn't teach the doctrine of original sin, nor does the New Testament, nor does either Testament teach that you inherit sin. But it's basically what the Pharisees are saying here. And in a funny way, they're saying, well, since you were born in sin, obviously, this wouldn't have happened. Well, um, he wasn't born in sin, and it did happen. Now, verse 31, among some Christians, is sometimes taken as a doctrinal statement. That's the one that says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. But that doesn't really work as a doctrinal statement. Firstly, because God hears all prayer, you know, as Solomon requested in his great prayer in 1 Kings 8. I mean, probably God listened to your prayers. I think he listened to some of my prayers before I was a Christian. Even seeking you will find, ask and it'll be given to you. That works for a non-Christian. A non-Christian can pray. It's the defiant person, whether Christian or not. It's the one in deliberate sin whose prayer will not be accepted, as Psalm 66 uh, illustrates, 66.18. So God does hear prayers. Of course he hears everyone's prayers. And he could answer them any way he wants or ignore them. That's his prerogative. The final paragraph. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgments that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him, uh, near him heard him, and said to him, Surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. And that's how the chapter ends up. Jesus follows up on the fellow. Always a good idea to follow up. Um, met a couple of non-Christians yesterday. I told them I would follow up. I didn't do it last night. I'm going to do it as soon as I get off <laughs> making this podcast because that's what we do. We follow up. Jesus follows up just as he followed up with the invalid, the Bethesda guy in chapter five. And interestingly, uh, again, back to the Samaritan woman, Jesus reveals himself by saying, the one speaking with you is he. Remember, he said to the Samaritan woman, she says, when Messiah comes, he'll you know, show us all things. And he says, well, basically, that's me. So God helps us to understand who he is. And he is um, the son of man. That's a title uh, for the Messiah in the book of Daniel. So the result is that this man recognizes who Jesus is and falls at his feet in humble gratitude. This is truly encouraging. He worships him. It's uh, quite similar to the response of Thomas in chapter 20 when Jesus appears and then shows his wounds. So the blind see and people who see turn out to be blind. And that ties back into um, uh, the, the statements in the beginning of chapter one and the middle of chapter three. Don't worry, that's all in the notes if you want to go back. Okay, so final thoughts before we have a prayer. In this story, it's only Jesus who really sees, plus the blind man, though obviously he sees in a different way. His perception moves of from seeing Jesus as a stranger to a healer, to a prophet, to Lord. Again, the progression of faith and spiritual perception on the part of the Samaritan woman, very nice parallel. John 9 portrays in living color what happens when light enters the dark world. How we respond to the truth God reveals to us determines our standing with God. And these two themes are intertwined in chapter 9, revelation and judgment. God's truth, his word, uh, and responsibility, judgment. These themes are present throughout the entire gospel and and very strong in chapter 9. This account, account, of course, in many ways also pictures a conversion to Christ. We may not have been physically blind or ever even seen a miracle, but all true believers have undergone an amazingly phenomenal uh, change. Jesus shows us the Father. In John 9, we understand that God is light. It's not just knowledge or intellect, but there's a strong moral opponent, a component to to the light. The the light illuminates not just uh, uh, intellectual ignorance, but uh, ignorance in the way we lead our lives. It can turn us from folly to wisdom. God is the one who opens the eyes of our heart. And we see that he does not favor the powerful or the establishment or the respectable, but those who honor him by embracing the truth. And we notice that nearly everyone in this chapter claims to know God or be respectable or you're in the light somehow. But there's a simplicity in knowing God, a simplicity exhibited in the life of the blind man and, of course, in the behavior of Jesus, that the highborn and the highbrow 
easily miss. They're so concerned with uh, their status, with peer pressure, they're afraid of ostracism, and so they, they miss it. But God can powerfully transform our lives. Now, um, I've given some more notes here. You can easily, easily turn John 9 into a group Bible discussion. And if you'd like to do that, I've got lots of thoughts here in the notes. Um, uh, plus, I, I recount a number of other Bible discussions you can do um, from John uh, from the entire Gospel of John. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be in chapter 10, and uh, we're, we're moving on. Our midpoint's going to be right after chapter 11, then we'll have a lesson. Uh, we'll go over 11 great memory verses from John, and then we'll get into the second half of the book. But I really appreciate you following along, and I've been encouraged by the emails that have come from all around the world, uh, emails of gratitude, and um, that, that helps me to keep going. Lord, thank you so much for all the men and women who today um, are listening. I pray that the lesson will will help, not just in some minor way that's not measurable, uh, but really put some ideas in our minds, some seeds that will germinate, things that will affect our behavior, the way we look at people, and help us not to be blind. It would be such a tragedy if we were like this fellow's acquaintances or neighbors, or if we were like the authorities or the Pharisees or people who are just seeking one another's glory, help us, even if it's a simple faith, to have the faith of the blind man. We truly want to see. Um, open our eyes so we can avoid silly mistakes today, that we can stay far away from sin, and that we can be aware when you've put an opportunity in our path. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on a tour through John. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.